Hey, everybody, we've made it through another week. It is Friday. I can confirm that. Friday. Don Julio Friday. We have an epic Friday episode for you, by the way, though. I know everybody's slowing down for the holiday, but we're not because this is a big one. It's a fantastic episode. We got, what are are we still calling him honorary fifth bestie? Of course. Brad Gershon, the honorary fifth bestie bestie from the all in potty hasn't been able to sneak into an all in episode. So I thought, let's get him over here. uh, I was so excited. I was like, let's adopt him. Of course, of course. We, didn't, we can't leave a bestie outside. Oh, uh, so, so we brought him here and we chopped it up. We talked about the economy, inflation, you know, the changes that happened in Silicon Valley this year, getting fit, just so many topics. And it was just a great round table. So fun. So fun. Brad Gersner of Altimeter Capital coming up. That's the whole show because it is a great conversation. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit at odoo.com slash twist. And LinkedIn marketing. To redeem a $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups. All right, everybody. It's Friday here on This Week in Startups. and been a heck of a year. So we brought in Brad Gerstner, our friend from Altimeter Capital. Brad, welcome to the program. Good to be here. All right, Molly, there's a lot of things we can talk to Brad about. He brought some uh, amazing slides with him. Where do we want to start here? I mean, I love a guest who does all the prep for us, which is outstanding. Uh, But yeah, like we really just wanted you to come on and talk about not only the sort of recap of this last year, overall writ large but specifically the part where it turned into a whole different year at the back half and that now we find ourselves in a downturn that we expect to be continuing into 2023 what that means for startups right now you had a tweet that we thought could kick us off right away about basically the metric immediately right that every startup should be focused on right now yeah i mean so uh, i think i think context setting you know, I think a lot of people look at this year where, you know, the stock market's down a lot. It's been a tough year for venture. And they they think that it's an aberration. But really, this is normalization, right? The aberration was 2020 and 2021 when the cost of money was free, when helicopter money was spraying out of Congress. And so what happens during that moment, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the the age of excess. Right, is that people start using proxies, Molly, for valuation um, that get further and further away from the truth. So, over the course of the last 18 months, we've heard a lot about multiples of revenue, right? Multiples of revenue for software companies, multiples of, of revenue um, for internet companies. But what we have to remember is multiple of revenue or multiple of EBITDA is just a proxy for distributable f- free cash flow sometime in the future. Ultimately, this all, all boils down to. I'm giving you money. How much can I get back in the future in terms of distributable free cash? And so what I was reminded of and you know, tweeted about this morning is that you know, it's that free cash flow, less stock-based compensation, which is another topic I want to hit on today, right? which is something that in a world of free money, everybody largely ignores because everybody's making money, right? Everything's going up so you can ignore stock-based comp. But Ultimately, if we want to know cash on the barrelhead, I own 100% of this business. How much can I take out as a return on my investment every year? You got to look at your free cash flow, less what you're paying your employees all in. Um, And I said, that's the new EBITDA because forever we've been talking about EBITDA as kind of this proxy uh, for, for multiple. And while I said for early stage companies, stock options can be powerful, one of the things I'm really frustrated with and think attention needs to be paid to. And I think, listen, investors have a lot to do with this, is now we're giving established companies, right, that are growing at 10 or 20%, RSUs, restricted stock units, to everybody in the company, right? These are just cash. They're a call option to the upside, but they're cash to the downside, but they come out of the owner's pocket, right? And so, you know, we have to look at, you know, while stock options maybe make sense for early stage companies, it may even make sense for a lot of public companies. You know, if you're giving away 40 billion in IRSUs the way Facebook has over the course of the last six years, right, then then shareholders expect and should expect to earn some return. 
And so you you finish that tweet for those who are not watching by saying that RSUs basically obfuscate or hide what is effectively salary inflation because, like you said, they're just cash. So it as so this sort of argues generally for what we've heard a lot lately, which is a, a return to austerity. But you're pointing out that stock based comp is maybe not needs to be a bigger part of that conversation. A hundred percent. So you know, like again, at the end of the day, let's keep it simple. Um, you know, if we went to Omaha and and, and uh, we, we we asked uh, Uncle Warren, "Hey, what's your measure of you know uh, how a company's doing?" He would say, "Well, I put in uh, a certain amount of money, and I want to know what is my yield. How much can I take out every year? Whether it's sees candy, he talks about I put in just a little bit of money, and for you know uh, thirty years since then, I've been able to pull out an enormous amount of money every year. It doesn't take a lot of capital investment." I don't give stock options away. That's return, right? And so I think we're re-entering a period where the cost of money is now on the front end of the curve about 5%. So you can earn 5% risk-free. Risk-free, that's a hurdle rate. So if you want to compete for my money, right, you have to compete with that hurdle rate. As opposed to 0% interest, which is what we lived through for some period of time, or just 1% or 2%. So then any investment looked good, but there's a right. distinction here. Um, RSUs at a big company like a Google or a Facebook, somebody's making a quarter million dollars. And we, we talked about, I don't know which hedge fund wrote that letter that like, hey, you're overpaying everybody. And it's not just developers, which we understand developers can get massively overpaid, but everybody is getting overpaid. Then on top of that, people were getting a, a bunch of RSUs, which are just cash. There's no risk to it. Whereas at right. a startup company, if you get stock options, 70, 80% of the time or more, it equals $0. So those are lottery tickets. RSUs are cash. Correct. Stock options at a startup are lottery tickets. Is is that the fundamental misunderstanding people are having here? Um, Absolutely. And I just think that, you know, even at a company like Facebook, uh, Jason, which is no longer a startup, right? It would be one thing if we gave away or if they issued $20 billion worth of stock options over the last few years, because they would all be underwater. Because the stock Explain is lower. Explain that, yeah. Explain right. That so works. if if I issue you a stock option and the the stock's currently trading at two hundred dollars, then your strike price is two hundred dollars. Molly, you'll make money if you help us build a company that's worth more than two hundred dollars. Yeah. And if we fail yeah. to do that, then these won't be worth anything. Okay. That's a that's a uh, 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 creates alignment with the shareholders, with the owners, with the people putting the money up for the company to grow, um, because they all win together. Now imagine I issued you an RSU at $200, okay? So if the company appreciates to $300, that unit I gave you is now worth $300. But if it goes down to $150, the shareholder has now lost $50 a share, but you still made $150 a share. It's misalignment of incentives. And I don't care. I feel like alignment is actually the key concept there because that has always been the, the... justification for paying tech workers more was the idea that they're all bought into these companies. So they might get a package that includes a lot of stock options, and those options might turn out to be a winning lottery ticket. And we all, you know, knew people who just would, it's like a lottery winner pop up over here and over here and over here. And that seemed to be feeding this kind of funny money concept. But at some point, that was not enough for employees, because you might not win. Well, and I, the person I, next door might win. And so you yeah, went to who RSUs. Was res- who was responsible for the RSU concept coming in? Why did they do that instead of so the options? I, of I would say, um, you know, this in my mind, Jason, is part of the grift that comes with free, uh, uh, low oh. cost of capital. Right. And because shareholders aren't going to complain so long as the stock price is going up. Right. Because everybody feels like they're winning. So everybody focuses attention on this. Um, when stock prices go down, because what they realize is that the people in possession of the RSUs are still getting paid, right? And so part of the age of austerity needs to be just a real conversation. I, I am a firm believer in stock options. They are an essential part of Silicon Valley. Yeah. They do create a They line, align, yeah. Right? Um, and I even believe in it with respect to public companies. Um, but, you know, I want to see leadership who have skin in the game like me. So they either have stock options that are struck kind of where I'm coming in as an investor, or we give you an RSU grant, but it's predicated Ah. on you getting the value of the company up, not just 
you know, you get RSUs no matter what happens. So I think Satya, for example, at Microsoft has an RSU package, but is performance based. Um, and so again, let's say that you decide not to have a performance based si- system of RSUs. Again, like that's fine. That's your choice. You run the company. But we have to look at all of that as simply cash compensation to the employees out the door. And we need to calculate the multiples, uh, the, uh, you, you know, determine valuation accordingly. Looking for a better way to manage your company without tons of expensive, disconnected software? Then you need Odoo. Odoo is an affordable, all-in-one management software with a massive suite of fully integrated applications designed to handle any unique business need. Sounds great, right? Well, it gets even better. Odoo is now offering all of their award-winning applications, services, and maintenance for under $25. That's right. For less than $25, you get 100% of Odoo for 90% less than the average market price. And Odoo is so much more than a world-famous ERP. That's Enterprise Resource Planner. Odoo has over 80 applications for everything your company will ever need. We're talking CRM, marketing, accounting, manufacturing, inventory, you name it, Odoo's got it. So as your business grows and your needs change, Odoo will be there every step of the way with dozens of user-friendly solutions to choose from, and you get it all for under $25. To learn more, go to odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Get more done in less time for a fraction of the price with Odoo. All right, you brought some slides for us. Um, let's jump into them. <laughs> One is this. Explain this slide to us about COVID, well, zero rates, stimuli-induced inflation, and how well, you're breaking the, and how you're breaking this down specifically, and how it relates to core CPI. And I, I think we have five slides here, and let me bang yeah. through these pretty quickly because they're all part of a narrative. You know, Jason and I were talking about, hey, let's look ahead and then look uh, look forward. So when we look at look backwards, um, you know, what what jumps out at you is inflation skyrocketed this year. Okay, so in the year 2020, 2022 was inflation skyrocketing. Why did it skyrocket when it hadn't really moved up in 20 years? Because we did something that was totally abnormal. We put five, six, seven trillion dollars, helicoptered it into the economy. We took interest rates to zero and we dared people not to take risk. And guess what they did? They took a lot of risk, right? People loaded up on their second house, their third house. They bought more cars. They they extended their credit card. Like they went out and they spent money um, and it turbocharged the economy. If you go to the next slide, you know, what we did in response to that in 2022, the Fed made a mistake in 2021. I've tweeted about the fact that we need to get a real time uh, uh, data stream going to the Fed with more, more machine learning because we should have spotted this earlier, but we didn't. We stayed zero rates for too long in 2021. So we got to 2022 and the alarm bells sounded. We've got a problem. We've got an inflation problem. We're worried that this is going to become embedded. So we had the single greatest move in the yield curve in the last 40 years. So if you're an investor, like we all are, when rates go from zero to four and a half percent, that is incredibly dislocating because you don't know what to underwrite to. The cost now I can get paid 5% just leaving my money in a risk-free account. Um, so your propensity to want to leave money there um, is a lot lower. Go to the next slide. You know, the multiples for companies, risk assets move inversely to interest rates. So multiples collapsed. So this just happens to be the software index, you know, but we went from an all-time high in multiples, right, 18 months ago to a 10-year low in multiples today. That is public companies, private companies, venture-backed companies. Give us the numbers are, on that. Explain that to people who you know, are, are new to this. Um, like, why does that happen? Or just what the percentages are. Because if sure. they're not watching the show right now and they're listening to sure, it, sure. we see you know, in, 20, you know, in the 2014 to 2018 era, it Great looks point. like the multiple uh, was six to seven times. Right. Uh, for the value of a of a software company, so explain what that's remember, a multiple of revenue, yeah, so, top line so, revenue. Yeah. yeah, so we're looking at a basket of high growth software companies that, for the better part of ten years, traded at an average of seven to eight times revenue. Now, remember, 
that seven to eight times revenue is just a proxy for those future cash flows we're going to be able to take off the barrel and put in our pocket. Okay. When the cost of money went down in 2021, what you were willing to pay for those future cash flow streams went up. Right. So we were willing to pay 15 times. I mean, we had many rounds that you guys know were getting done at 100 times for an early stage company, 100 times revenue, because people were discounting those cash flows back at very low interest rates or no interest rates. We woke up this year, interest rates went higher. And as the interest rates go up for every 1% change in interest rate, you have about a 10 to 20% compression in the multiple. Multiple goes down. So what your peak of 18, we had like a peak of what, 18, 19, 20? For this highest cohort yes. uh, for the high growth stocks. So now we're down to about five and a half times uh, revenue for these companies. Um, and again, that moves inversely uh, with, with interest rates. If you go to the next slide. And so to say that again, just yep. right now we are trading well below the seven, eight average. We are correct. Right. Almost half of it, you know, whatever it is. And it's about a 10-year low, despite the fact that these software companies have largely been continuing to perform. This okay. isn't just a software issue. This impacted all risk assets, sure. right? And so you see this with Chinese internet companies, U.S. internet companies that are both at 10-year lows, as this slide shows. And then if you go to the next slide, what I think is important here is 90% of the uh, uh, of the fall in stock prices or the value of private companies has been driven by interest rates. So this wasn't that my revenue fell out of bed or I stopped making as much money. 90% of it, again, this is an average, came from those rates going higher. So that was the story of 2022. Inflation skyrocketed, interest rates were playing catch up, and multiples that were from at all-time high and prices that were at all-time highs now moved below the average near 10-year lows. So as we look ahead, what is the world, what are we worried about today? Um, and, and what's the setup look like for 2023? We're always sitting around the poker table, J Cal, like, you know, we beat ourselves up for things we could have done in 2022, but we're mostly focused on, you know, how do we position ourselves for the next six to 12 months. So it's, you know, the Fed has acknowledged, you know, we had a CPI print, an inflation print this week that came in lighter than expected. It's now pretty clear we've had two months in a row where inflation is rolling over. Chairman Powell had a speech and he said, hey, I think that we've peaked on inflation. Goods inflation's coming down, housing inflation's coming down. But we have the sticky thing called wage inflation we continue to be worried about. So I suspect in 2023, the consensus belief is that inflation is going to come down. If you go back to that first slide, Goldman Sachs thinks it's going to 3%. Morgan Stanley thinks it's going to 2.5%. So that's a better setup than 22, where it was skyrocketing. Okay. Right. And this is uh, experienced I mean, the, by consumers in the form of buying the form of milk prices. and eggs, mm -hmm. their mortgage homes. payment, homes, gas, exactly. all that. Cor correct. All those You were going to say something, Molly? I was going to say two things. One, the journal, in fact, the Wall Street Journal is even pu publishing articles now saying investors are having uh, hopes of a soft landing. There, you know, There's like a little bit of a sentiment change about how bad 2023 might be. The only thing I would add to this for context that I think is sort of interesting is that one, inflation, no question, driven by a zero interest rate environment. But, and I think like this is removed from what we do as investors. Sure. Also driven by the exogenous factor of extremely constrained supply chains and extremely high consumer demand because you oh. have a lot of people at home shopping for stuff that they could not get. So you had demand, 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 nothing coming in, prices going up because the price of renting a container on a ship, you know, tripled, quadrupled, quintupled. And some of the stubbornness that we've seen in terms of inflation coming down is because that inflation is unrelated to interest rates. Like you can't do anything about ships being, I can look right. out my window and there's a still a traffic jam at the Port of Oakland. But, and then you had all of those sort of price driving fact valuation multiple 
factors that were interest rate related and the, the they have been they've proven a little more stubborn and they've been unrelated to those fundamentals of can I get a thing or not and Correct. even the like dip in multiples is unrelated to fundamentals as you said these are still high performing software companies that are now trading arguably below what you would say they're worth right and uh, you know again to keep it simple i mean if St- stan druckenmiller has said this is the hardest moment to forecast from a macro perspective in his lifetime so right. let's just be humble in the face if our friend bill Gurley was on the show with us right now he would make fun of me for even talking about macro because he would say none of us have any idea what's going to happen to macro but i'm taking a shot I think inflation has peaked and continues to go down next year. And interest rates, I'm just taking the Fed at their word. They said, listen, folks, we're taking them to 5% and they're going to sit there and we're going to put our foot on the throat of this economy until we see wage inflation break. And we're not taking our foot off that till we see the white. Is that the the, only thing left is wage inflation? That's That's the last, that's the last city to, to fall. That's the bucket that the Fed is worried about because okay. that's something that gets embedded. There's a lot of talk from the 70s about wage pi- price spirals. I think we have a lot of post-traumatic stress from that period of time. But so yes. this means in plain English, people's salaries go up and they can keep buying stuff. And if it keeps, if their salaries keep going up, they keep buying stuff, then they keep inflation going because supply demand. Am I... Correct. In the ballpark no, of yes. the concern? God forbid people have more money to spend, even though well, 80% of GDP is consumer spending. So Molly, this is a little this is a good this is a good point. At some level, we've been complaining for the last decade that wages wouldn't go up. Right. Okay. For the lo and behold, actually. but what we'd like to see, right? Because we all want to fine-tune, we'd like to see wages go up just a little bit faster than inflation, but we don't want to see them gapping up. We don't want to see haircuts go from 20 bucks to 50 bucks in a year because that impinges people's ability to live, right? Because their wages, um, their, 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 their cost of living is going up faster than their wages are going up. And so right. that's the tuning uh, that the Fed's trying to do. So step back again, 2022, inflation down, interest rates stable. That's radically different, or that's 23. That's radically different than 2022 where they were both skyrocketing and there's a lot of uncertainty. So the rate inflation backdrop is way more conciliatory next year. What is way more uncertain next year is whether we're heading into the teeth of a massive recession. Right. Okay, so we're trading one uncertainty for another uncertainty. What would the worst case recession scenario look like based on what people are saying? What happens? Because the thing that I found uh, concerning being on the board of companies and investing in companies and actually seeing the numbers and knowing the plans before they happen is people are making cuts. People are planning on making more cuts. People are looking at every single item and they're saying, oh, we have this SaaS software. Or we have 12 different SaaS softwares. Let's go to seven. Okay, how many seats are we paying this company? Okay, we want three people to log in with the same login, go from 10 seats For to sure. four. Uh, okay, we have this many people in customer support, we're going to outsource it to Manila, and, and or we're going to use AI and try to be more efficient. Then everybody was making fun of tech. Oh, look, tech's getting their comeuppance. Everybody's making cuts. You did the, you know, hey, it's time to get fit asking Facebook to make uh, cuts and they did whatever 60, 30, 60 days later. Now media is getting hit as predicted CNN, the mighty Washington Post, theoretically with an unlimited cash supply They're they announced their cuts to a lot of um, you know, aggressive, uh, really aggressive town hall, if you saw the clip. And so this is a white collar recession, and blue collar jobs, service jobs, we can't get enough of them, we can't pay high enough wages, Uber $36 an hour. So I'm very confused as to what is happening with employment and why it's an issue. Because from where I live, my address is media and tech. And it's a disaster. People are looking at Uh, As I said, I think the last thing is pay cuts, like to go to your employee base and say, we're going to cut pay, hiring freezes. Uh, I saw one of the accounting firms said we're not doing bonuses, even though we had our best year because next year is going to be so bad. People are just batting down the hatches. I'm confused. Well, this is where the debate is. Um, I think there are a lot of people who agree with you, Jason, and they see it happening in the real economy. Now, this is no longer quarantine to tech or quarantine to media. Uh, Like, just take one example. I grew up in this, this town of northern Indiana where all the RVs in, in the country are produced, Elkhart, Indiana. Okay? Um, 
This town was often a bellwether in the 70s where national news would come to say, because it was on the leading edge, when people stopped buying RVs, they knew uh, economic cycle was happening. Okay. Now the factories in Elkhart are shutting down. They're going to three-day work weeks, right? The town is really slowing down. So RVs, if you remember during 2021, there was six, nine, 12-month waiting lists to get an RV. Why? Two reasons. Number one, to Molly's point, we're in the middle of this really weird thing called COVID. Nobody wanted to be around other people. Hop in your RV and go. But number I almost two, bought one. Exactly. That's close. That's close. But number two, you could borrow money for free. Yep. The RV was free. Okay. And so we had this perfect storm with all this activity. I don't think this is quarantine to tech. The debate that's going on right now that you see playing out on Twitter and other places there are certain people who think the Fed is way over their skis, have, have already gone too high, are throwing us deep into a recession that's going to smack us in the face in Q1 and Q2. The Fed is saying, you know what? That's a risk we're willing to take because okay. this thing got so overcooked, so overbaked that we, we worry more about embedded wage inflation than we do a modest recession. And we know if the recession hits, we can always turn down interest rates a little bit, but we are not going to give one Uh inch, right? This is very clear. Chairman Powell is determined, and he's a big fan of Paul Volcker, right? The head of the Fed who broke uh, inflation back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. There is no way he's taking his foot off the throat, and that's what's being interpreted by the market. If you're a B2B marker, that's business to business. Your needs are unique. We all know that. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face really complex decisions, right? Most of the time, traditional marketing channels don't work. You know, if you're doing B2B sales, it's not like people are buying some impulsive purchase of a gadget. No, got to be thoughtful. Traditional channels don't work for it. But here's the good news. LinkedIn ads is specifically built for B2B marketers. That's you. Here's the only stat you'll ever need on why you have to the market on LinkedIn. LinkedIn ads gives you direct access to 875 million members, 180 million senior level executives, and wait for it, 10 million C-level executives. No other platform in the world can offer these kind of elite eyeballs. And LinkedIn is going to help you reach your audience in a respectful environment. It's about business. You think about LinkedIn, you think about business, okay? Here's some other amazing stats for you. Audiences exposed to brand messages on LinkedIn are six times more likely to convert. Yes, you heard that right, six times. And audiences on LinkedIn have twice the buying power of the average internet audience, right? That's critical too. So here's your call to action. Make B2B marketing everything it can be. And get a $100 credit on your next campaign, a hundy. If you go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups, go get that credit. You have to type in linkedin.com slash this week in startups. No spaces, no dashes, none of that nonsense. Terms and conditions do apply because they're giving you a hundy. And there, I mean, the Fed has been very clear on the risk of recession being worth like very explicit because inflation hurts everybody. And unfortunately, recessions don't. Right. You will you will see layoffs in certain sectors, in certain areas. And so breaking inflation is still the the Fed's core mission regardless. But But I think like to your point about a big fan of Volcker and the hangover from the 70s and the, you know, breaking inflation in the 80s. The lar- like the our economy is what fifty a hundred times bigger than it was in the seventies. Like the I, it's just a the economy is weird right now, and it's it is we're just as likely, I would say, to have a recession as not. I mean, it's sort of it is this weird debate, but we're all working with you're always working with the last recession. You're always tackling the last problem. And I will say though, I think that the Fed there was a period in you know 2018 2019 where it was like looking like things might be a little bit economically rocky but because interest rates had been so low for so long the fed that's the that's the tool that's the arrow in the quiver for the fed is to manipulate interest rates either up or down and if they're stuck at way 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 down or near zero there aren't that many tools and so i actually don't expect the fed to take their foot off the gas for all of the reasons you've articulated and because frankly a higher interest rate is a buffer for the next time that you need to address policy with interest rate changes. I, you know, listen, we've had a great technology investing scene 
during periods of four, five, six percent interest rates. Right. Right. That was the regime we had in the early 2000s. That's not the problem here because we just reprice our entry. We reprice the asset. Right. Yeah. We're just not going to pay as high for an, a, a Series B or a Series C venture company at a 5% or 6% interest rate as we would at 2% interest rate. The entry price matters. The yeah. entry price matters. So that to me, markets can adjust to. What they can't handle, Molly, is massive uncertainty. What we right. can't handle is this, yeah. right? Which unfortunately the, we still have. Right. Yeah. And so um, I, I, I think if you're grading the Fed, right, in 2020, I actually give the Fed an A, maybe an A plus. They saved us from an economic collapse, right? Let, let's remember where we were in March and April of 2020, we, the, the economy stopped, okay? I would give them for 2021, it's mind boggling. I think it's like they all went on vacation having survived 2020. I give them a D or an F. 2021 was a disaster. Everybody, everybody on this show, everybody we talked to, we knew inflation was rampant. You couldn't buy anything. The waiting list for everything from a Tesla to an RV to a second home. Bonkers. And, and it's bonkers, okay? So the fact that Neil Kashkari, the president of the Minnesota Fed in June of last year, June of 2021, said we will not raise rates until at least the end of 2023. This was when a freight container from China to the West Coast cost $20,000. Okay, that's an F. Okay, is I'm that sorry. The, is that is an F. I'm just again, I'm looking yes, at the ships piled up outside. There was every reason for them to think that everything that everybody wanted to buy was just stuck. And that once that dam was loosened, and I'm, this, is the tr this was the transitory argument at the time, there were lots of good reasons for them to think you know that one way a to lot of this the consumption, dam? that demand would be eased by a sudden influx of supply and that if anything, prices would collapse. There was that argument Who, who could look at China closed in middle of 2021? And think that we were going to have a sudden influx of supply and goods. That was ridiculous. That's there were 60 ball. ships out my window that hadn't been unloaded. Right. Because, right, because we, we had so, uh, 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 we had created so much stimmy. Everybody had money in their bank account. They didn't need to go to work. I mean, right. you know, uh, this was determined. burned off now. I mean, I'm That's not saying they were right. I'm just saying that <laughs> at the time, that was an argument that... Was, okay, Molly, I'll meet you halfway. It made sense. I give him a well-intentioned F, okay? <laughs> uh, but, I don't think but, that's a real grade. <laughs> okay, but in 22, right. but in 22, okay, despite how painful it's been, right, I would bring B him plus? back to an A. Uh, maybe B Right, plus, so yeah. this is a student that I just think went, went missing in 2021. Uh, Jason, you had a question? Well, uh, you know, it, there's so many curveballs. We, we haven't even brought up Ukraine. Uh, or China COVID policy. And so the world is so interdependent right now that it's not as simple as Volcker's job. I right. mean, when you look back what happened to Volcker, they, I, it, I believe the prime rate raised to 20%, people getting mortgages were paying 20%. So let's all pause and think about how insane that would be. It, right now, people are not buying cars. The demand for cars have gone down because of the 6 7% interest rate. Demand for homes has flatlined because of 6 7% rate. This could be 15%. This could be 20%. And inflation, I mean, that also got well out of control during that period. And then there's politics that plays into this. Reagan, I read Volcker's biography, uh, as keeping at it or something is incredible. Like Reagan came to him and they like had like, like this little clandestine meeting and whoever Reagan's like henchman was, I forgot who it was, said, like the president would really like you <laughs> to not raise interest rates anymore. And so there is also politics playing into this, correct, Brad? I, all of those factors, yeah. you know, play yeah. into it. I mean, listen, um, we've talked about this. We should erect a statue for Senator Manchin yeah. from having saved us from, you know, Stimmy too, that would have tossed this country, country into a spin of hyperinflation and much more austere interest rates had we not, had he not been the deciding vote there. So, um, yeah, I think that, I think all those things are complicated factors, but I, I really want to make sure everybody heard what I said. I'm constructive. The backdrop on 23, Looks from great. a policy perspective, from an inflation and interest rate perspective, is constructive. The problem we what have- What does it mean, constructive? Constructive in means we don't have these wild swings that make stuff uninvestable. You okay. and I can make an investment decision with the cost of money at 5%. Like I said, look at the stuff that was funded. 
2000 to 2005 when we had yeah. interest rates there. Okay, that's not the problem. We just need stability and predictability, and they've given it to us. Okay, where we don't have that is around economic performance. Okay, and this is a good transition to the conversation around austerity and meta. We know that the top lines for all these companies, for all the reasons you mentioned, going to get a lot tougher. Right, top line growth is going to be hard. Consumers are going to be more precious and more thoughtful with their spending. Correct. Advertising has hit a major bump in the road. Companies are cutting Correct. advertising. Companies are cutting corporate spending, and consumers so are cutting long, spending all at the same time. Top line will slow. How so? So the only way that a company can bridge this period where we have higher interest rates, slower economic growth, is they have to tighten their belts. Right? They say, "Oh, hey, Info. the household budget's gone down a little bit. This year, we're not going to be able to afford subscriptions to Hulu." Disney, Paramount, you know, Netflix, etc. We got to choose one or two, okay? That's what companies need to be doing. But for some reason, companies I think were very slow. Um, not for some reason. I have a lot of good ideas as to why they were slow, but venture back companies and public Entitlement, companies were having slow never been through to it make before. the changes. Yeah, I mean, listen. We have a generation, Brad. If you're younger than 21 years old, you don't even remember 2008. And if you're, you know, a CEO who, you know, started a company when you were 25 years old, my lord, like this is a this is new territory for you. You don't understand how bad this gets. Yeah. Let you me You haven't seen Arion chairs, people walking home from their office with an Arion chair with their laptop and a box of books in it because the company shut down so violently that people just walked out with an Arion chair on their laptop and didn't even get paid. Right. Like, it was freaking chaos in 2000. But who am I blaming even more, Jason, than the entrepreneurs? Go. Are the investors. Cap okay, it's us. The it's investors. Us. Yeah. Silicon Valley is full of investors that are either too young or lack the courage to talk truth to founders for fear of not being loved. This idea of founder-friendly- Don't I know it. Became commingled. Right, with always telling the founder what they wanted to hear. There used to be this story about Sequoia that you chose Sequoia because they would they would drag you by the scruff of your neck to success. Okay, that wasn't a friendly way to get you to success. That they would be hard hitting and, and drag coach. you there, including getting rid of the founder if they needed to to make the company successful. That's what founder friendly meant in the, in in that context. But I would say over the last 10 years, if anybody spoke up at a board meeting that in any way wasn't you know, aligned with the founder, people looked askance at that. What I see returning now, which I'm happy about, is truth-telling. That's founder-friendly. Helping companies avoid catastrophes, that's founder-friendly, yeah. right? And so it took a little while, not surprisingly, because we've all been gaslighted for so long. But what I see happening in public companies, we talked about Meta or Google or Amazon, et cetera, what I see happening in venture, and there's a big effect here since Elon took over Twitter, this Elon effect. I mean, he's revered by a lot of founders. Everybody can say whatever they want about his style, his approach, um, you know, et cetera. He's far from perfect. He's the first to admit it. But the courage in making that level of change, and everybody said the lights would turn off at Twitter, right? It wouldn't work anymore. You couldn't possibly do this. And so for a company to say, can I, can I let go 10%? Can I let go 20% when they're letting go 70%? And by the way, 10 to 20% doesn't get most of these companies, even back to the headcount they had at the start of 2021 or 2020. Yeah. That's how incredibly fast they were growing. So um, this numerology where first everybody resisted any change, they said, we're, we're an exception. And then once they did their bottoms up review, they all magically came up with 13% riffs. It was also a joke. Okay. No first principle thinking in that. It was enough to get the people complaining off their back, but not enough to really do anything uh, that, that, that changed the game for companies. So um, I start, to, you know, I'm seeing a lot of courage and a lot of founders starting to do the right things and ask the right question, which is, what is the number of people I need to optimize my success? Blank sheet of paper. Do Nicole, you that, feel... Okay, go ahead. No, you, Molly. 
Do you feel we had this debate on the show, but you weren't here and uh, you famously penned the letter to Meta time to get fit. Do you feel like they took that medicine? Or um, did the not quite enough this I'm taking advantage yeah. of the fact that we have you here and <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't I'm, have to answer it. But uh, no, no, of course, I'm going to answer it. I don't come on the show and not answer stuff. <laughs> um, you know, first, I would say when I when I wrote this letter and and Jason and I talked about, I think, over poker, you know, the week before, you yeah. know, I, I, I really was thinking about this and we've been talking about it as an open letter to Silicon Valley. Right. I mean. This applies, what I said in here applies to almost every company in Silicon Valley. At, at Facebook, I thought they had a particularly acute challenge, but a particularly interesting opportunity. The acute challenge was they had gone from 25,000 to 85,000 employees in just a few years. And at the same time, they were making a massive and uncertain long-term bet, more sizable than any bet we've seen in Silicon Valley on Oculus and Reality Labs, where I said, you've confused investors, which is hurting the company. Yeah. And so like, let's just telescope out for a second and think about the parts of the business. This business can do 40 billion in free cash flow. Instead, you're going to do 15 billion in free cash flow right? because you're making these massive investments. So I said, tighten your belt. Just go back to where you were at the start of 2021 in terms of numbers of employees, okay? I really right. think they should go back to where they were at the start, start of 2020. But again, these are my opinions. I'm not telling the company what to do. They get right. to do whatever they want to do and I sell the shares or I don't sell the shares. The second piece I said is they're investing way more in AI than most people understand, right? The, the magic of ByteDance TikTok was that it was not a social network, right? They targeted my son to watch TikTok through AI and it worked. So Facebook has done a complete retooling over the last three years, right? Has been one of the largest consumers of GPUs, right? To really build an AI discovery engine, okay? Yeah. The world doesn't even know that because they think that Mark, you know, renamed the company, you know, Meta, and the only thing he's doing is running around with these glasses on, yeah. and yet he's building yeah. a gold mine in AI side right, quest. right under their nose. The and then the third piece quest. is this other yeah. thing. So, you know, I basically said, hey, tighten your belt on people. You'll get more innovative. This is the misnomer. It's not about cutting. It's not about killing investment. It's about getting more innovative, more productive. Okay. Those two things coexist. So it's get more focused on that, get more productive. Number two, focus on AI. In fact, maybe invest more in AI. And then on this third thing, if I were doing this, I'd do what Google did, which is I would say long term bet, more uncertainty. I'm going to put this in something that looks more like. Waymo or Verily, right? I'm going to make this another bet. I'm going to capitalize it at, I don't know, $5 billion a year, which is what I suggested in the letter. If you want to take outside investors, take outside investors, do whatever you want to do. But that would allow each part of the business to, I think, perform much better. That was, that was a thought. They came, you know, I think that... They did know, the magical 13%. Right. They made, they made a cut. They made yeah. a cut. Um, and what I would but say I is, I do think I, it's worth noting though what you just said though. It's not as reductive as get rid of six thousand of your eight thousand people. It's get rid of more than you think you right. need to get rid of, but also focus right. Cut the side quests. And I think today they announced what they had a two hundred dollar lift credit, monthly credit for all their employees or something. I saw on Twitter that they killed that today. Like I imagine all of these companies listen. Here's another thing nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. We have, I think, leaders in these companies who actually want to make changes. But I actually think they become afraid of a lot of their employees who work in of these course. companies because the threats these employees make on bulletin boards, the accusations they make from a DEI perspective, it's, you know, if, if people are advising you, they just say, this is really dangerous territory to walk on. So when they're really profitable, I think it just becomes easier for them not to make the courageous but correct decision, which is to get fit. But the reality is, uh, as a country, as companies, as individuals, right? you only take the top podium if you have the courage to get fit. And all these companies, every single company, there's room for 20, 30, 40% fitness in all of these companies. 
again, in the era of free money, what did we what did we what did we tell these companies to do? We told them unlimited hiring, unlimited yep. investment. The cost of money is free. Just oh, think about top just line think, growth. That's think it. about That's this, bro, Jason. Bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apple this year, if they were just investing in the risk-free rate, could generate seven billion dollars of free of cash just off their cash hoard. Yeah. Okay. And they bought back a ton of stock, right? Didn't they do tons of stock buybacks? Yes. yes. They so did, they were yeah. Yeah. But yeah. my point is this. If I'm earning 0% on my cash, then what, I may as well spend it. But if all of a sudden I'm earning a real risk-free return, sure. now I say, well, maybe I shouldn't hire this additional person. Maybe I shouldn't make the 10th investment on my list, right? right. Because there's an alternative use of the cash. Because if that person is not going to make me 5%, then I'm going to put it into the three-month CDs that I keep talking about on this show. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. And now the age of austerity is upon us. And I think when you're in a talent war and you become scared of your, you know, of, of talent, you know, it's kind of like Hollywood, you know, they were, you know, they, they're afraid to piss off an actor or something or a director. So they make all these accommodations. Now the pen and the pendulum swung too far one way. People were offered all kinds of perks. Now we're going to go the other way. Some people might even argue it feels sadistic or gleeful in the cuts that management are making. Um, but the truth is, uh, Coinbase and Shopify, I think, you know, both Brian and Toby said, you know, we're here, this is a business. We're, we're, this is not the place for politics. We, we, you know, we have like one mission, you know, uh, cryptocurrency for the world to free the world and, you know, help people who want to build mom and pop shops. Like, enough, let's get focused. And then I think what people are realizing is, if you hire two years ahead, well, then you can cut half the staff or whatever it is, and have uh, more earnings while the top line suffers. So here we are, it's just going to be super painful. Are we at the point where we've taken enough medicine, where we've corrected our diet, where we've gotten our sleep, where we've exercised and got our heart rate up, that we can say we are in fact fit, and that growth will come back? When will we be fit, Brad? We are First not quarter, fit. second quarter. We, we're we, still not we, fit. We, we ju- we, we're just getting off the proverbial couch, Jason. Like, Ugh. we may be just on the one mile training. Um, couch you to know, 5K. Okay. You know, I get it. Jesus. Let's use that. Okay. That's our metaphor for recovery. So, so, couch to 5K. So, so, I would say that 2021 was the year of abuse, right? That was pinnacle free mo- peak for peak free it. money. 22 was a transition year. That was the year, like, holy shit, we're everything's hungover. changing. 23 is okay begin your exercise regime take an alka-seltzer okay but this is the important thing fitness is not one and done it is changing your behavior and creating consistent fitness right it's having an ongoing dialogue about how much stock are we giving out an ongoing dialogue on what should be the metrics that matter how many things should we be investing in I would say that this wasn't a problem created in one year. It just peaked in a single year. Right. This Top was three a problem companies. created over to be a fair, decade. We're yo-yo dieters. So like, <laughs> I, I think anyway. it's going to be unlikely that these lessons stick because so far, historically, you know, Jake Allen <laughs> well, and I would talk all the time. We've yeah, been through three of these. I don't these, know. Like, you know, here's, I have, I have a theory. Hope Springs Eternal, but. <laughs> you can want something and then you can decide to do something. I want it to be thinner and more fit. And then at a certain point, I decided to do it. And I think with some companies, they want to be fit. They want to have their stock price go up. They want to be more efficient. But you have to make the decision. And once you make the decision, then there's some pain and suffering and behavior change and accountability. Top three companies in order, Brad, I'll give you a minute to think about it, who have gotten fit and you appreciate the most. And the three companies that you're worried about that they haven't gotten the message yet. Just take a minute you're, to you're think really this through. Doing, you're you really, always you're, have you're, to name I'm names doing it. on I this have show. To, this is why we get <laughs> the ratings. It's because really, I force really people to answer it. hard questions. But I know who your number one fitness company is. And then give me the two or three after that. And then let's go to the other side. Well, well you can participate here too as well. Um, if you feel like it. What, what I'm going to say, maybe not answer it exactly the same way, but I'll give right. you some examples of companies that I think uh, are showing the way who, who, who are fit, okay. right? So, okay. you know, uh, one of our biggest investments is Snowflake. Yep. Frank Slootman. Uh, General Slootman. Frank Slootman, uh, you know, when we brought Frank on board to lead that company, you know, he said, prepare for war, right? Mm-hmm. He, this for him is not a, a one-day mission. That's not a way, a way to behave for a single day or a response to something. It's a way of life. 
right? That the company's duty is to be fit every day, right? So he was making changes three, four years ago, right? In terms of changing culture. And now let me just give you one stat that's just a mind boggling stat. In 2021, Snowflake did 1.2 billion in revenue, thereabouts, top line, 1.2 billion. In 2023, they, they guided that they'll do 700 million in free cash. In 24 months, they converted, they went from 1.2 billion in, in revenue to 700 million free cash. Like, I don't think you've seen cash conversion off of revenue like that out of a software company ever. That's what happens when you run a really tight ship with a really great product and everything is precision in its orientation. And guess what? They are absolutely every single day. When when we're talking with them, they're looking for more ways to be more efficient, to tighten the belt, to do even better. Why? Because if you're the most fit person in the race, you win the race and you've got to run the race every day. Discipline. Who who else is in your top? um, That's one of your top. So I would say that Apple has been famously, uh, you know, famously efficient relative to uh, the other big companies like right. like Facebook or Google or, or Microsoft. And one of the things I would say about Apple, you know, you might say, well, why do they have such fitness? Like, what is it culturally? I want to point to two things, right? The first is a design culture around minimalism and essentialism that is also an ethos for how they run the business. Got it. Right? No Steve waste, Jobs no says it's, he says, it, focus isn't choosing you know, the thing that you like the most focus is saying no to a thousand things you like. Okay. So that's embedded in their culture. Number two, for the last five years, I believe this is true. They've distributed over a hundred percent of their free cash flow back to their owners, back to Warren Buffett. Okay. Well, one way not to waste your money is to give it back. So they've returned that in the form of share buybacks and dividends. Right. And that creates discipline in the business because, you know, they make that commitment. It creates a financial framework for investors and owners. They say, you're our stakeholders. We're selling these iPhones, right? So that we can provide a return to our shareholders. So I think both of those companies are, are, are terrific examples uh, for companies to follow. What I would say on the other side of the ledger. You put Twitter on that list, I assume, as well. Um, Twitter post Elon? Yeah. Um, I think jury's out, to be perfectly honest, okay. Jason. I, I, hope, I hope that I can put him there. I, listen, nobody can doubt Elon's credentials as a visionary, um, as a CEO, or as a courageous leader. Um, I am rooting for his success. We need him to be successful. Okay. But I do, listen, you are, you, you're, you're close with him. Uh, I think all of us worry that he's taken on a lot. Yeah. And 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 when you take on a lot, you get spread thin. So I want them to be okay. successful, but I wouldn't put it on the list just yet. All right. Jury's um, still out. But I expect it will be because I believe in them. Um, Got it. On the bottom of the list, um, listen, I would put, I hate to say it because no, be I, candid. I, I, I love both of these companies. I'm going to stick with the big companies uh, to sure. start. And I would say, uh, you know, Google and Facebook. Um, Google and Facebook. And, you know, like they, um, Google, Listen, Ruth Porat's an incredible CFO at, at Google. She made a bunch of great changes when she came on board. Um, over the course of the last eight years, they've compounded. But the fact of the matter is the company is now at, I think, 185,000, 200,000 employees. And you saw, I think you saw that tweet a week or so ago. I think it's something like 10% of those employees, 20% of the 20,000 employees create something like 80% of the profits. Yep. So the size of the groups at YouTube and search are actually relatively small. Yep. Right. But they basically are funding a gigantic research lab across the rest of the business. And so, um, you know, I would like to see Google be a hell of a lot more innovative, release a lot more products. I mean, the fact that we're still staring at 10 blue links, right, instead of them launching chat GPT. I yep. think it's just an indictment of, uh, of, of, of like too many people, too many things, not enough focus, et cetera. And I believe in the people there, like 201. Um, but what happens is not the will of the individuals. It's, the co- it's how all the pieces start it's mashing together. It's the architecture. Together. You it's have the to architect for success. And the architecture right. there is waste 80% of the dollar spent 
Twenty percent right. goes to what's making money. Although Where I are those other eighty percent going? Where's the winning? Where's the next Chrome, Gmail, YouTube? Yeah. Where is the next one? And uh, what's the last great new product from Google? Tell me. Well, no, I, mean, I just told you that there Chrome? haven't been any, right? Like they, they, they're not in the product. That's how far back you have to go? Molly, to what's go the last big one? Go back to Chrome, Chromecast. Maybe? That's not, I Weirdly, mean, it's nice, right? but, nice yeah. but. But I'm just me. saying it was the last thing that they made that I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then I just bought the same thing in the form of Heroku TV. Nothing so. in streaming, nothing I mean, listen, in AI. Come on. Lex Friedman's interview. Even of, YouTube of, looks exactly of, the same. Of, uh, Friedman's interview of Kaparthi. He yeah. asked him the question, like, how do you stay innovative at the scale of Tesla? And, uh, and he stopped for a second and he said, well, Kaparthi goes, you need somebody who really believes with a giant hammer who runs the business. Yeah. Like, that, like the, the inertia, right, of, of yep. just bigness. Excess. And the inertia of like, what kind of like what we... I don't love the Scale term kills but, but, great but that companies. Stuff, it's, it's yeah. like it, it really endangers these companies. I would say I mean, the same thing happened. To, the same thing come happened. Come on, that's not wokeness. It's scale. Like Google scaled and could not stay focused and organized, and that's been a problem at Google for. I mean, I've been. I was saying that as a journalist a decade ago that yeah. you don't get you don't get too attached to whatever Google releases because they uh, don't my, care about uh, it. They can, let it go. So I want to offer this up. It's it's probably not what. Uh, you know, most people mean by wokeness, but I, I want to define what, what I'm thinking about. The inertia that happens within these organizations, right? When everybody's getting rich for showing up, when we go from stock options to RSUs, yeah. it just feels like the whole damn thing's a grift, right? Mm -hmm. On shareholders. It's like your job yeah. is no longer to release stuff. Your job is not to get fired. Yeah. Okay. So you keep your head yeah. down, you shut up, you do what everybody yeah. else is doing. And, you know, like I suspect if you, uh, I suspect that most, in fact, we have lots of friends who've worked there. They'll tell you as much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and don't so, get fired. Keep so, the gravy like, train going. Rest and invest. I, I think when you're making a lot of money and guess what? You're working, you know, long days. It, it takes like, are you going to take on that Leviathan? Are you going to try to change? You know, that that's a lot. Right. And right. you have to have founder authority to do that. And I, I, I would use the E word. I would call that entitled because I think yeah. that's okay. a more sure. of an entitlement better than culture. Work. Yeah, better than work. Yeah. More it, that's just too that's just well, too complicated. Yeah, but you did. You had a group, you had literal entitlement. You had spoiled you have spoiled people where life is too easy, right? We all know that yeah. you get tougher when life is tough. Yeah. yeah. But I, I will mean, say this don't underestimate Ruth Cora, uh, <laughs> and don't underestimate uh, you know, I think Zuck. Like I'm, I, I'm a believer. I think we're going to have a comeback here. I think momentum is in the right direction here. You um, wrote and I how to get fit. What he announced the ten thousand yep. uh, three weeks later on a Sunday night. I put a buy order in for the stock uh, when it was at ninety one. I think I got in at ninety four. Been one of my best trades because once I think a founder realizes there um, the the that nobody believes in them again. When they believe the investment community and people have given up on them, I think that screws with their head. And I think that makes them go, you know what? I want to be a winner again. And then that builds the courageousness up. And, you know, there is a curse of the money printing machine. I yeah, first saw sure. this at AOL. When they had that dial up, when it was churning, at that time, they had peaked at like over 30 million people paying $30 a month. This was unprecedented to have a billion dollars and there was, and this is, you know, this is in the late nineties, early two thousands that people just didn't never understood a business at that high of a margin, throwing off that free cash flow from subscription month after month. And they lost their creativity. They lost the need to innovate. And that's Google's curse. That's Facebook's curse. Until you recognize that you have a money printing machine distracting you, then how can you pay attention to a machine that prints nickels? When you have a machine that prints thousand dollar bills, so it's a famous case study at, at, at HBS on AT and T. It was mm -hmm. a monopoly. They hired kajillions of people. They behaved like monopolists. They actually have. You can go on YouTube and search this. They lay out what they thought their vision of the internet was. I am Perfect. telling you, they nailed everything. Nailed. It. They nailed mobile phones. They nailed chat. They nailed social networks. GPS, they nailed it all. Everything. Yeah. And they didn't release any of it. <laughs> Any of it. Yeah. You know? And so, like, yeah. I, I, I think one of the magic things about Larry and Sergey when they started the business was this idea that we were going to run a really decentralized culture that disrupted itself. 
Mm. Right. And I just wonder like if that DNA, uh, right. you know, can, can, can kind of resurface. I, th- I think that, again, there are a lot of really great people, Philip Schindler, Ruth Porat, et cetera, uh, uh, Sundar. And like, if anybody can do it, they can, but I do think it's going to take intentionality about saying, and hopefully chat GPT is the existential threat that way, you be. know, that causes them be. to say, we have to, be. we have to change everything. Molly and I played chat GPT or Google search result in the last episode. And what okay. we did was we took the information from the first, second, or third, the best information from the first, second, or third result on Google and compared it to the chat GPT uh, result so that yep. it was, you know, text versus text. For sure. And the d- producers stripped out all the stuff and just showed us the text and we read it to each other. And I think we picked chat GPT in the majority of cases. Well, wow. this is should be alarming because the content farm system uh, and the rankings of content in Google is so decrepit and it's yeah. so dysfunctional, the relationship that people are putting tons of ads and using content farms to make long tail stuff. And when we looked at chat GPTs, it had processed it enough to make it a cleaner and better experience. Molly, maybe you could talk a little bit about wh- wh- how eye opening that was for you. Yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I said when we tried chat GPT was that I'm going to use this instead of Google. And what was so what prompted that in some ways was the Reddit post, I think that people were sharing where someone said, I work at Alphabet. And, you know, this is just too expensive to do at scale. And it's one thing to create something that some nerds can use, but to make this at scale would just be impractical. And I my immediate response to that was like, what a disappointment. I mean, obviously, this was likely not an executive at Alphabet, right? Clearly. But the idea that anybody working at Google is thinking in terms of impracticality or even expense yeah, is so like, oh, disappointing. Like, I'm like, a- no, no, no. You're the nerds that do whatever you want. Yeah. You're the moonshot people. Release yeah. it. There is yeah. no Release universe it. in which they shouldn't have released Jet Chat. Go ahead, should, Jason. I would just say Sundar should be staring at the ceiling every night till 3 a.m. He should be locking down. Everybody should be on the 10th floor. Everybody should hit a, a hardcore link at chat. Hey, <laughs> to, you know, shout out no. my guy, but they need to get a group of people and get them hardcore on releasing a chat GPT competitor. It's got to be out in the next 60 days and it's got to be better. If well, you're you, Sundar, and I t- yeah, yeah. you should be staring at the ceiling right now, grinding your teeth. It's also uh, the other thing I would say, though, is it's a really interesting look at sort of who. Uh, like, I'm thinking back. Jason, to your book, right? And you talk about secondary sales for founders and how like, take two or $3 million off the table. Fine. You paid off your house, you paid off your student debt, you can yep. fly on, you know, you can go to a nice vacation. But if you take off 10 or $20 million, that's effort money. Yep. And all of a sudden, you don't care. And yep. you can see where some companies hit effort money mm-hmm. and yep. lost discipline as a result. And it's, it's so fascinating that Apple did not Apple did the equivalent of like, putting away the amount you're supposed to save every single month with the paycheck all at once, which most people don't do. And you could argue, I think, that Meta and Google hit that stage of, and that's what that does happen to monopolies, to monoliths. They end up toppling themselves because of inertia. I mean, Google has all the resource in the world. Like if you think about AI, the ingredients for AI They've got the silicon. They've got the data. I mean, think about it. They have more data Deep than mind. On, the, on the planet. They've been working on this problem for 10 years. But uh, most people think the reason they haven't released anything is because of the hallucination problem, right? So chat GPT, right? They can release something. It can say with confidence something that's untrue, okay? Mm-hmm. In a big company, right. Google, I'm sure, has 150 people on their AI responsibility team. So let's say that you're the product manager for their chat GPT equivalent. And you say, okay, we want to let this, we want to put this out in kind of a field test. We want to release it. We're not going to release it under the Google brand. We're going to call it something else. It's going to be this chatbot. And they say, okay, we're going to run a couple tests on it. Right. And they're going to say, describe to us what a successful engineer, they're going to say to the chatbot, describe to us what a successful engineer looks like. Okay. And the chatbot may start describing a certain ethnicity. And ChatGPT cer- has already done that. People have already run gen- those tests. Correct. Mm-hmm. But ChatGPT doesn't, you know, like, listen, they're willing to take risks that a company like Meta or Microsoft or, yep. or you so know, or such Google a good point. are unwilling to take. 
So right. it's not just about resource. Like right. that's a problem. You are not, you are not going to crack the hallucination problem, right? You're not going to get to perfection. Google as a search engine was not perfect when they launched it. It was full of porn. It was full of all these of issues, right? Yes. Sp and phishing, spam. Everything. But this became, you know, at that point in time, they were risk takers. Now they self-censor. Why yeah. do you self-censor? Because of career risk. So that becomes two, a cultural problem. Two final questions. I got you warmed up. You're in candid Brad mode. My Uber, your Uber. <laughs> Are they fit enough? What do they need to do? They're doing great in terms of growth. They, the product feels great to me. Uber Eats, I've been ordering my groceries there. So many things that we can appreciate. That stock price is not one of them. Well what? said, well said, J. Cal. Well, the stock, does, the stock price are, ultimately yeah. is, is uh, I think, um, wh where truth is told um, because people are greedy and they'll pay a higher price if they think it's going to earn more free cash flow in the future. No, it is not fit. I referenced it in the letter to Meta. Um, obviously, big fans of, of, of Dara. I think the service is an incredible global service. I think it's market leader. Uh, all over the world in mobility, increasingly so in delivery and local e-commerce. But let me make two comments about it. Number one, the main reason I invested in what Bill Gurley talked about for the better part of a decade is this idea of network effects, right? When you're a marketplace like this, you ought to have 90% share of the market, 90% share of the profit pool. Why didn't they accrue 90% share of the profit pool? Well, it turns out they had to issue discounts of 4 or $5 billion a year. Because we had a bunch of venture capitalists who are willing to burn money and give it to their competitors who basically were making diseconomic decisions. Now, the good news is, okay, that nonsense is over. Okay, like that game is played because there's no more free money. So when, when Dara says we're going to get to four or five billion dollars in profitability in 2024, I believe him because last year they had four or five billion dollars in discounts. And all you have to do is stop giving people discounts and you have four or five billion in profit. Okay, mm -hmm. but that's not enough, Jason. That's not enough, no. right? That's why a this more. stock hasn't moved, right? And so I think you got to go after the cost structure of the business, right? And it's not because he's not a good leader. It's not because anybody's done anything wrong. It's just because we built these businesses at a moment in time, okay? When 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 Travis was was hearing one hundred and twenty billion dollar valuations, and when the when the TAM that he was envisioning was much bigger, etc., like. He just built a business that was sponsoring open source projects. It was taking on a lot bigger surface area. Yes. VTOLs. <laughs> right. Now that peak. you've narrowed the focus, you got to narrow the surface area in terms of the people, right? 100%. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan, huge believer. I think the company would do well. Um, but again, my opinion, I'm not an activist. I'm not going to go, you know, bang on the company's, uh, you know, Yet. head over this. Yet. Um, but that's what I think they should do. If I were running the business today, I would, I would, you know, okay. figure out a way to uh, get more fit. All right. That seems like the perfect place to leave it. Brad Gersman, thanks so much. And uh, please come back. Hold Quarterly on, updates. Quarterly updates. Great job, Brad. It, it is yeah. selfie time. It's selfie time. Well, let's do it. Here we go. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me get mine going. There we go. Couldn't the year. <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, listen, uh, you, you're just so honest. You're so insightful. So Thanks for coming. Uh, you were you were great today. Best Brad episode ever. A real treat for our audience uh, as we wrap up the new year. Uh, we wrap up this year, and we're looking to have you on quarterly uh, and just really getting this wisdom. Thanks again, Brad. Everybody follow. What is your Twitter? I, I know it's ALT. At Cap. At Alt Cap. A-L-T-C-A-P. Yep. If you want to get some great tweets, that's where you're going. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.